Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, I will be joined by Matt DeBear a little bit later uh, in this episode of the podcast, uh, but we thought it was important, uh, considering the magnitude of this week's game, uh, not not in terms of like football, right? like it should be a pretty decent football game, but there's a very important trophy on the line, uh, that before we get into uh, the kind of Penn State side of things, we wanted to get to know the opponent a little bit better, so we decided to go out, get our friend Chris Vanini from The Athletic. Chris, uh, what's going on, buddy? It's that week. You know, when, when I'm on this podcast, it means one of two things is going on. It's, it's either WrestleMania or, or it's Lang Grant <laughs> Trophy, and, and both of them are among the greatest, <laughs> the greatest spectacles in, in sports entertainment. What would happen if uh, the Land Grant Trophy, like what circumstances need to occur for that to... Uh, be at WrestleMania, whether it's next year, five years, ten years, whatever it is. Well, are there any are there any pro wrestlers from Penn State? Well, uh, actually, a little known story is that Cody Rhodes was committed to Penn State That's before true. he uh, before he decided to uh, you know become become a superstar. But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, okay. listen, all we so, need is so so yeah. we 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 get Cody Rhodes, we go back in a time machine. And grab George the Animal Steel, <laughs> and then they face off at WrestleMania for the trophy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's professional wrestling, so this story could be as weird and convoluted as possible. But uh, I think people, I think people would enjoy that. Uh, in things that I'm not as 100 percent sure people uh, will enjoy this week's game uh, between a Penn State team uh, coming off a bye, off of what was a heartbreaking loss to Ohio State. I'd really rather not talk about that, so I kind of hate myself for mentioning it. Against uh, a Michigan State team, Chris, that three and two on the year losses uh, to the new leadership model of Arizona State and Northwestern. Uh, can you just kind of give us a quick ten thousand foot view on this year's uh, Michigan State team? Yeah, I, I didn't see the Northwestern game last week. I was I was at uh, Central Michigan Buffalo working on something, so I miss I miss that game, but it, it seems like it's kind of gone the rest of the way the rest of the season is and that is an offense that wasn't actually that was not actually good last year has not gotten any better when people thought it would and they're basically not making the clutch plays that gave them the wins a year ago last year they won a ton of one possession games obviously the Penn State game was one this year the team is just not making the clutch plays their third down percentages is uh, taking a big drop the turnovers are up and um basically the the step forward last they overachieved last year 10 wins was an overachievement and with arguably the most experienced team in the country coming back the natural thought was that they would take a step up and they just haven't done that so it's been more uh i guess for lack of a better phrase regression to the mean than anything i, I guess i mean i mean it's hard to say in college football because yeah. teams change year to year, and you know they, they weren't they weren't a three and they weren't as bad as three and nine the year before. They weren't as good as ten wins last year. So I guess if you consider it like that, but it's a different makeup. So it's not like a baseball season where you get hundreds of at bats or something like that. But I mean, I guess that's a fair way to say it. Yeah, I, I'm looking at um, uh, Bill Connolly's statistics. Uh, it's Looking like uh, about a 30% chance of a six-win team, 34% chance of a seven-win team. So in that general ballpark, is that kind of uh, between what this team has shown uh, and how tough its schedule is uh, with trip a trip to Penn State and games against Michigan and Ohio State? Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I said, with those three games still on the schedule, they've lost. I actually thought the Arizona State game was always going to be difficult because going to big 10 teams going to pac 12 schools is always yep. difficult uh but the northwestern loss was a bad loss and it's the third loss in a row uh, against northwestern and for some reason this program you can always count on them to play up and play their best against michigan and they always play down against northwestern for whatever reason they just they just stink up the bed every time they play them and it's obviously not some sort of talent or scheme discrepancy it's just they don't play well and so now they're sitting at two losses with with at least three extremely difficult games left on schedule. Interesting. And uh, I I think it's so weird because when we were talking uh, about uh, Michigan State last year, we were talking about 
uh, football team, like you said, it felt like it was overachieving, but it still felt like uh, a good football team. This year's Michigan State team, uh, defensively, I mean, outside of uh, allowing 31 points to a pretty solid Utah State team, it's been fine. I would guess, Chris, that the problems uh, with this team, or the, most of the sources of his struggles, would be uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, in their in their two losses, they are averaging one yard per carry Ugh. defense. I mean, they're they're shutting down the run. They're doing they're doing what you need to do, and offensively, they just have not made the plays. Thirteen points against Arizona State, uh, nineteen against Northwestern, just not going to cut it. And this is a team that you, again, you expect them to take an offensive step forward with basically everybody coming back. L.J. Scott had considered leaving early for the pros and came back, but he he's hurt. Uh, he's banged up. Cody White, one of their top receivers, is, is has a broken hand. I think he's been out. Uh, offensive line's a mess. Lewerke is kind of panicking because he knows he doesn't have any pass protection and it's just causing kind of a jumbled mess. They're, they're actually scoring as bad as the offense has been. They're actually scoring about three points per game more than they were than they did all of all of last season. But their third down conversion um, is is down like. Seven percent. They were one of the best teams last year, and, and uh, they're just not. Last year's team got by with making the clutch plays at the end, and they're not doing that. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at uh, on their uh, their football uh, outsiders. Uh, Bill Walsh stats. Their average third down distance is, on offense is about seven point nine yards, which is kind of crazy. And of course, uh, as any Penn State fan will tell you, when you're mixing that kind of offensive line. And a quarterback who gets a little bit uh, skittish, and you have to go eight yards on third down. And we saw that during uh, the last uh, years two of the Christian Hackenberg era. That could be a bit of a recipe for disaster. I and mean, when you're looking at uh, Brian Lewerke, it, has he I, his numbers look to be fine? You know, his touchdown six touchdowns, six interceptions aren't great, but uh, completing about eight yards per attempt, uh, sixty. Four percent of his passes are being completed. Felton Davis is still there, a very good receiver. Uh, it has it mostly just been a function of the offensive line, and I would guess, you know, based on the average yards per carry, that might not be a bad place to look for a lot of this offensive struggles. Right, they cannot run the ball at all whatsoever in any facet, um, and Lewerke's been pretty good, but the six interceptions is, is pretty bad. Like you can't. Can't. Plus, he's fumbles, turnovers have been a problem for him in his career, and six interceptions is 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 not is bad. It's bad. But if you're going to point to where the problems are on offense, it's on the running game. It's it's a complete mess. They can't get any sort of blocking. Nobody can get to the second level. This is perhaps the worst defense or offensive line in 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 D'Antonio's tenure, and wow. um, and it's always it's always been a, a struggle. There were there were a couple of years there, like 2013, 2014. 14, 15, where they had Jack Conklin, who was a zero-star guy who became a top-ten pick, and they had some other guys who, who got some NFL looks. But outside of that, for 11, whatever it's been, 11, 12 years, offensive line has always been a problem for them. And in this year, it's evident more than ever. And when you're an offense that is, is about running the ball and you can't run the ball, it changes everything. Now, they did adjust to that last week. They ran the ball 30-something and passed it 50-something times last week, which I think is the ratio that they're going to have to do to be successful. But it just it, it didn't work last year. Play calling has been just all over the place, not, not, not good either. So just kind of a mess offensively. Yeah, so when you're looking – let's just look at this game uh, specifically. Uh, in the event – and I understand this is a little bit difficult. The, the players aren't going to be able – uh, are going to be able to avert their attention away from the Land Grant Trophy. Uh, how do they match up with this Penn State team on both sides of the ball? One thing I'll say about that, I need to I need to look this up. But Michigan State's record, the week I forgot. I don't. I think it's the week before or the week after the Michigan game is is really really good. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. But as for how they match up with Penn State, I think Penn State's clearly a a more talent. I guess when it comes to Penn State's offense, they're, offensively, Penn State is obviously much more talented than 
um, than Michigan State offensively. Defensively, I've been kind of surprised Penn State's been struggling so much defensively. I know the first, I mean, every team they've played this year has pretty much run the ball quite well on them, except for, what, Kent State? I mean, App State ran the ball well yeah. on them. Illinois did. Ohio State did, but Ohio, Ohio State's good. So, uh, oh, here, here's uh, here's that. At Michigan State is not, this is from 2013, actually. Their, their record the week before the Michigan game is is not great. It is really good. The yeah, he's nine and two the week after Michigan. One of those losses hmm. to a national champion Ohio State team. They are not very good the week before Michigan. So this 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 game is before Michigan. So that's another thing to uh, have so, out there. I so, guess. so what you're saying is that uh, the Big Ten tried to is trying to uh, change that up a little bit by putting the land grant trophy game before Michigan. So they come in 100 percent focused on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a Jim, a Jim Delaney conspiracy to help motivate Michigan State, who has long been considered a darling of the conference in every way. So, um, you know, I think that that could be the case. So, yeah, def- uh, just real quick on the defense. I mean, it seemed like uh, that has 24th in uh, defensive S&P Plus, uh, really, really good rushing defense, it appears, passing defense. Uh, has its struggles, but uh, can you again just give me kind of a ten thousand foot look at the defense? Yeah, they they were they got a tough break early in the year. I think it was before the season when Josiah Scott um, has a knee injury. I don't remember, I don't remember if it was before the season or if it was the first game or what, but he's out until I think November. Um, their top cornerback, who was really good as a freshman last year, so that hurt uh, in, in the defensive backfield. Um, they, they played a Arizona State team with Manny Wilkins, who was just chucking deep ball after deep ball after deep ball all game. They got a handful of completions, which kind of ends up skewing those numbers a bit. Um, but, but defensively, they're solid. The defensive line is really good. They, they had a number of guys last year who were, who were unheralded but young, like Kenny Wilkins, who was a former walk-on. He's played surprisingly well and is now a really good pass rusher. Uh, Mike Panishuk, uh They've got uh, Raekwon Williams. They've, they've got a solid defensive line, which was the problem in 2016 when they went 3-9. and nine. They had just lost a ton of defensive linemen, and, and that position was bare. Now it's, a strong, now it's a strong set. The linebackers are okay. The defensive backs are okay, but they're also banged up. So uh, Trace McSorley, if I recall correctly, passed for a whole lot of yards on this team uh, a year ago. And, and Michigan State generally shut down Saquon Barkley, I think, except for maybe one or two runs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd expect, I'd expect that kind of, uh, day for Penn State where, where most of what they do will end up coming in the air. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, pulling up the numbers from last year's game, McSorley 26 for 47, 381 yards, three scores, three interceptions, Barkley 14 carries for 63 yards. Uh, McSorley also didn't do too terribly much with his legs, seven carries for two yards. Uh, uh, uh last year's game, uh, I'm Glad you mentioned that because it leads really well into this next question. And obviously it had uh, the caveat of it was this weird rain-delayed mess thing that, like, it's very hard to uh, (laughs) talk about last year's game without mentioning that. But really, in the second half of that game, and it was kind of evident during the first as well, it really came down to uh, Michigan State was just able to execute. And Penn State whether it was drop passes, whether it was interceptions, whether it was failing to run the ball, struggled to execute. Uh, If Michigan State is able to go out and execute and be that smart, efficient football team that we know that they can be and they have been in years past, like is that what this game comes down to? Michigan State not uh, making mistakes, whether it's turnovers or getting in third and longs and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got to take care of the ball, the turnovers – kill them and and they need some explosive plays because when you can't run the ball you're not going to have a lot of 10 11 12 play touchdown drives if if it's got all come in the air you got to have big plays down the field and that's where losing cody white is is a big loss uh felton davis is is a really good receiver but um he's kind of all they've really got in the passing game 
right now. And that, yeah, that's kind of what's kind of, they're going to have to take care of the ball. They're going to have, when it comes to the offense, they're going to have to take care of the ball and have explosive plays and, and pretty much the same thing on defense. They're going to have to not give up the big plays because I think they're going to do a pretty good job stopping the run. Yeah. Looking at this, uh, 35th and defensive ice of PPP this season. So, uh, should be a fun chess match watching, uh, how Penn state's offense is going to try and navigate that, uh, Michigan State defense and watching if Penn State's defense, which has had some really high highs, but also some really low lows, which one's going to show up against a Michigan State offense that has had its struggles. Uh, Chris, let me get a prediction. Where is the Land-Grant Trophy going to spend the next year? Uh, I'm going to pick Penn State just because this seems like, uh, I mean, Michigan State going to Penn State has always always been a, a kind of a mess. This, this Trophy game has often been determined by home field um, because the fans are just, you know, so passionate yes. about it that when it's in their vicinity, uh, you can't help but feel it. So I, I think home field advantage gives them the edge. What time is this game at? I forgot. 3.30. Yeah, so it's not it's not a night game because obviously, you know, they didn't think people could handle it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Penn State. I just I don't I don't have – much faith in the Michigan State offense right now to match what what I expect Trace McSorley will be able to do. Makes sense. And uh, kind of before you go, I do want to uh, ask you about one of your uh, primary duties with the athletic, and that's handling the athletic 130. Uh, you have the unenviable task of ranking every uh, college football team. I, I imagine that uh, that's probably not too tough for the top 25 40 something like that and for the bottom oh it is, it is this year well this year yeah because yeah. uh there are like two good there's one good team then there are four or five pretty good teams and then there's just lord knows what yeah. uh so i i do want to talk about that top for a second because uh you know penn state of course it did lose last week uh, but i think as someone who uh views the sport as a whole you can have a pretty interesting and probably more well-informed take than most about what needs to happen for Penn State to make the playoff? Uh, four and one this year. You have them at number eight. Did losing to Ohio State really take that completely out of Penn State's hands? Is it mostly out of Penn State's hands? Like, what would you say the situation is for them right now? It's 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 going to be real tough. Now we know that a division champion. I'm sorry, a, a team that doesn't win its division can make the playoff because yeah. Alabama did last year. Um, Ohio State the year before? Uh, right, right, yeah, there you go, yeah, last, last two years. So it's possible, but that Ohio State team had a win over Oklahoma on its resume. This Penn State team doesn't have anything in the non-conference that would help. A, a win against Michigan State probably wouldn't look as good as we thought at the time. Um, it helps to have the Wisconsin game, although they've already lost to BYU. The fact that the Big Ten right now, I think, what, only one undefeated team and some kind of some bad losses across the board in there mm-hmm. is, is is not helping. That said, a, a lot of teams, you know, Alabama, Georgia, one of them will at least have one loss because at, at worst case, they're, they play each other in the SEC championship game. Clemson... It's hard to see them losing a game. Although I mean, Syracuse has been weird for them, but their schedule is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, West Virginia is currently undefeated, but they still got a number of tough games. It, teams have been losing games they shouldn't, so it's always possible. But uh, it's going to be a tough climb because they don't have that 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 marquee non-conference game that yeah. that that a lot of people are. I mean, Alabama beat Florida State last year, which at the time you know turned out to not be a good Florida State team, but they also uh, I actually thought Ohio State should have gotten in over Alabama last year because Alabama didn't have the many quality wins. But uh, yeah, with, with, with that with, with the non-conference schedule they played, although Appalachian State looks pretty yeah. good now, but I, I think it's, it's it's always tough for a division champion to get in unless you're Alabama because you're Alabama, or if you have a marquee non-conference win. Yeah, I was going to tell you, my friend, you need to put some respect on uh, on Appalachian State's name because they are making a. They've decided to do this fun thing where after losing to Penn State, they just didn't, they don't want to lose again. It's been fun. Uh, also fun. It's been fun having you on here, my friend, for uh, 
a discussion of what James Franklin once called the most beautiful trophy uh, in all of college football. Uh, as always, uh, let people know where they can find your stuff on the internet. Yeah, I mean, theathletic.com uh, subscription site. We're now in our second year. We've got Audrey Snyder doing uh, Penn State. Covering Penn State exclusively uh, is her job for us. We, we've added some team writers. Uh, we, and we got national writers, Bruce Feldman, Scott, uh, Stuart Mandel, Bruce Feldman, uh, myself, Nicole Auerbach, and a whole bunch for like three fifty a month and, and no ads. Hope you guys check it out. Uh, we got some, some uh, real good stuff. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Chris Vanini. And uh, appreciate you guys having me. Not a problem. Uh, we're going to uh, do a very awkward little uh, break in the audio here, and then Matt DeBerry and I are going to be on here. We're going to be talking about uh, this game from the Penn State perspective, talking Big Ten, all that stuff. So stick around. All right. So uh, Chris is gone. He's uh, back to do other land-grant trophy things, and uh, we replaced him with someone from uh, our side of college football's finest rivalry uh, in our Matt to Bear. Matt, hi, hello, how are you? Hello, hello, Bill, I'm doing well, thank you. All right, uh, we'll explain this a little bit later on to the pod, friends, but we're going to be making fun of Nick pretty hard at the end of things. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I think we need to uh, look at this game, obviously. Pen- like, as you know, uh, if you don't know, after listening to the first half of this podcast, God bless you, uh, Penn State, Michigan State, uh Spartans coming to Happy Valley. Uh, it's a 3.30 kick on BTN. Uh, this game is also interesting to me. Both teams are coming off of losses. Penn State, uh, I don't need to rehash for anyone, but a 26, 20, uh, 27-26 loss at home to Ohio State. Uh, I don't want to say a game that Penn State should have lost, but it makes sense that they lose that game. Uh, conversely, for Michigan State, a 29-19 home loss uh, to Northwestern. Both teams are going to come into this game really hungry. Both teams are going to want to come in and right the wrong that happened in their previous game. Uh, Matt, since I talked with Chris a lot about Michigan State, I think we need to start. What's kind of the biggest thing to watch in your eyes in uh, Penn State's first game since that heartbreaker against Ohio State? Well, I think the bye week helps mitigate some of this, but the the similarities between last year's uh, Ohio State, Michigan State, back-to-back, so to speak, and this year's are kind of eerily similar, with the only real difference is being the bye week and then obviously Penn State playing at home this weekend. But I think the biggest thing that Penn State needs to be aware of, and if you read the quotes and everything coming out of the team – they're keenly aware of this, but it's it's be ready to play. I said it last year going to the Michigan State game. Don't let Ohio State beat you twice. And I think um, for any number of reasons last year, um, the weather notwithstanding as well, that Ohio State game kind of lingered into the second week. And it even affected Ohio State, too, to some degree with the big loss in Iowa City. Um <laughs> immediately following it so I, just from just, a, just in a case, mental standpoint uh, real quick i think it's case, hold on for a sec uh, in case any of you forget uh the week after they beat penn state last year uh ohio state lost 55 to 24 to iowa continue <laughs> that is a very important bit of information that, that should be shared <laughs> as much as humanly possible as far as i'm concerned but one year later it still makes no sense but yes continue nothing about college football makes sense or very very little about college football makes sense but Back to the question, I think it's a matter of being mentally ready to, to play. I think more than any game in the last couple of years for Penn State, the Michigan State game in East Lansing last year was Penn State doing a lot of beating themselves, a lot of mistakes that they really hadn't made over the previous two seasons with a lot of missed tackles, dumb penalties, drop balls, um, interceptions. I think McSorley threw three interceptions that game. It just was a sloppy game all around, and some of that you can certainly attribute to the the lengthy weather delay, but I think it was a team that kind of had the previous week's heartbreak still lingering, and among other reasons, I think that's a big reason we for the bye week, or a big help from the bye week this year, plus it's going to be at home. You're going to have a big homecoming crowd, um, so I don't think it's something to necessarily worry about, but I think it's the biggest thing to be aware of going in is just being mentally ready to play the game. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the thing for me. I mean, I'm Penn State can't get off to a slow start. I mean, there's 
the Ohio State game and how that might linger. There's last year's Michigan State game and how that might creep into the back of their minds. And then there's just the simple fact that Penn State is a better football team than Michigan State. And as I mean, we've seen this in Penn State in, in Penn State's games against teams that are in the top 15 of S&P Plus, Penn State will sometimes take a little bit to get going. Usually in the third half, they start pouring it on. But Michigan State, while they're not on the level of Ohio State, and by S&P Plus, they're not on the level of Appalachian State, they're still a good football team. They're a football team that last year picked up a win against Penn State. And I really, really think Penn State needs to come out early, put its foot on the gas, and get Michigan State at arm's length, get into a situation where uh, its pass rushers are going to be able to pin their ears back against uh, a Michigan State offensive line that isn't especially great, and a quarterback in Brian work. he was a bit turnover prone. And I, I, I just can't, can't see a scenario where uh, Penn State starts slow and Michigan State doesn't get more and more confident as the game goes on. Again, partly because of how last year went. So I really want to see that. I also want to see the defense kind of put it together for four quarters. Um, they did that against Pitt. Uh, they did that against Kent State, Appalachian State. It took them, you know, they kind of got gassed down the stretch. Ohio State, no need to relitigate that. Illinois, they struggled a little bit for basically uh, two and a half quarters or so, and then they started putting the clamps on them. I want to see Penn State's defense put together a full game against a Power 5 opponent uh, in Michigan State that has had their 67th Nash, uh, 62nd in offensive S&P Plus. Not a good team at running the football. Again, Lewerke, while he's been able to complete some passes and he's been able to... Uh, you know, throw for uh, 1,300 yards, six interceptions, uh, like Chris mentioned in the first half of this podcast, some fumble issues, uh, you can get to him, and I want to see Penn State's defense get to him early, and want to tr- see Penn State's defense get to him often. Uh, Matt, as we move into the game and talking about uh, Michigan State specifically, uh, in the little bit that you and I have watched them this year, uh, what is your main reason for optimism going into this one, and where's uh, your main reason where you're concerned? Well, I think from an optimistic point of view, it's Michigan State is a very one-dimensional team on both sides of the ball. As you said, they have really struggled to run the ball. A big part of that is LJ Scott's been injured. Um, I think he only has 30-some carries this year, um, 30 carries for 103 yards. So they've they've really struggled to get the running game going without him. They average under three and a half yards of rush. So it's really put a lot on the work he's shoulders and injuries have hit them in, at the receiver position as well, where it's really Felton Davis, the third who killed Penn state last year um, with a huge game in East Lansing. And so they've really become reliant on that combination. Um, even against Northwestern last week, their leading rusher was Felton Davis. And most of that came on one big explosive uh, end around. So I think Penn state, should be able to control the rushing game. And as you mentioned, getting the worky and obvious passing situations has kind of been a recipe for success for Michigan State's opposition this year. He's been sacked 12 or 13 times. He's thrown six interceptions, as you mentioned. He's had the issues with hanging on to the football. But on the other side of the ball, as good as Michigan State has been defending the rush, um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but they're among the top 25, top 20 in the country, according to S&P, and all those different metrics – they really have struggled, other than in the explosive play department, with defending the pass. Um, they're 113th in passing completion rate. They're 98th in passing down sack rate. They're 88%, number 88 nationally in third and long percentage. So they've really struggled to control the passing game. And for as great as their rush defense was last week against Northwestern, they held eight yards. They still lost the game by nine points, and it wasn't really a matter of, of a bunch of fluky things. It's just the, the the Northwestern passing game was just that good, and Michigan State wasn't able to run the ball on their side. So as long as Mark D'Antonio's been there, that's been their recipe for success. It's it's play strong defense, stop the run, and run the ball effectively, and that just really hasn't been a consistent thing for them at all this year. As far as concern, I think it's it goes back to some of the same things we mentioned um, just on an overall standpoint. Penn State hasn't been great against the pass this year, 
Um, Felton Davis is an explosive athlete. Um, I think that's, we were talking about it a little bit earlier today. More than anything, that's where Ohio State beat Penn State was taking advantage of just the overall athleticism that they have at wide receiver is pretty much get the ball in their playmakers' hands and let them, let them do what they do. Uh, obviously, Penn State didn't make plays either, but Felton Davis has that kind of ability to, to be that game-breaker. We saw it against Northwestern last week on the run. He killed Penn State last year. So I think they have to make sure they're keyed on him and you know, not to, to belabor it, just from a mental perspective, be ready to play the game. And I think there's a lot of things that will help him with that. But Lewerke and Felton Davis are good enough to, to make Penn State pay and if Penn State starts slow on either side of the ball, um, especially in the passing game, which is where Michigan State has struggled, that is is a potential red flag for me. Yeah, I might. My, my optimism basically just stems from the fact that, like, I, I, I understand how this could have happened, but like, this Michigan State team went to Arizona State and lost to Herm Edwards' team. Uh, in his second week of being there, and I don't think Arizona State is uh, too terribly good. Like, their offense was just real bad in that game, and I understand there are some uh, issues that come with going from the uh, East Coast to playing in the West Coast, all that stuff, whatever. They lost that game 16-13. to Utah State gave them a ga- game. Northwestern beat them uh, by 10 points. Like, this just seems like, and this is something Chris mentioned on the first half of the pod, Michigan State wasn't as bad as they were when they were a three-win team. They weren't as good as they were when they were a 10-win team. And this team kind of feels like it has the potential to be right in the middle of those. So I think Penn State's coming out. They're going to I think they're going to be angry. I think they're going to want to make a message after what happened against Ohio State. I just all this stuff I think comes to a head and I think they're going to want to come out and really drive uh really ground Michigan State into dust. Uh, my concern stems from the fact that I, I, I... To kind of go in a different direction, because we've mentioned the slow start, we've mentioned uh, last year's game, we mentioned that sort of stuff. I'm a little worried about a potential scenario in which they try to get the running game going. Uh, Miles Sanders definitely did not have his best game against Ohio State. Uh, that game ended on a failed running play. Um, I, I'm a little bit worried that against a very good rushing defense, they're going to want to try and come out and uh, really establish the running game, which I think would be a bad idea. But also, they let Trace McSorley throw it 47 times last year, so that might just be nitpicking. Uh, and then, like you said, the concern of what happens if Felton Davis is able to cook like he was last year, where he was based, he carved up Penn State's uh, secondary. So those are kind of hanging in my head uh, as kind of smaller reasons why I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, but moving on to our next thing, just how does Penn State win this game? They come out and they be the better football team. It's really that easy. I mean, Penn State is a better football team than Michigan State. Like, I know that we're kind of. Uh, Michigan State has earned the right to be viewed as a contender in the Big Ten East every year and a very good football program. And a program that when they come to your town, they're going to make it a really tough football game. But on the whole, when you look at these two teams, you look at how Penn State's passing uh, offense matches up against a passing defense that has struggled this season, uh, it's rushing offense, Against what has been a good rushing defense, and then the other side of the ball, passing defense that, or just a defense in general that when it's locked in has looked really good against an offense that hasn't looked very good uh, for long stretches that year that can't run the ball, that is a quarterback who, uh, like we said, has been a little bit turnover prone. Their receiving options aren't especially deep. You look at all that stuff, front to back, Penn State should win this game. It is the better football team. It, they should win. Matt, what do you think? I think you kind of kind of nailed it. You know, we talk about it a lot, and we've talked about it a lot specifically this year in, in this segment of the podcast where we're talking about how does Penn State win or what do they need to do to win. And more often than not in college football, the more talented team wins. It's not a, a hard, fast scenario, as we mentioned up the, off the top with 
things like Iowa beating Ohio State 55-24 last year, just a reminder. But in most games, the more talented team is going to find a way to win, and that's just the case this weekend. Um, a lot of the things that went right for Michigan State last year haven't this year. Um, Bill Conley wrote about it early in this year that after the, the their Utah State game, the narrow win there, that they they weren't a different team from last year, but their weaknesses from last year became more glaring, or the strengths weren't as weren't as strong strong enough to overcome them, and that's that's cost them in two games so far this year against teams that, on par, they're probably a little bit more talented than, but it's not the the huge difference that you see you know when you look at Penn State's roster versus Michigan State's roster. It's just a you know a quantity sort of thing, but I think Penn State wins this game from an X's and O's standpoint, if you want to think of it that way by trusting Trace McSorley. Um, you know, I think we all wish that they would have done that in the, in the, in crunch time against Ohio state, but he's the leader of this team. Sorry to bring that up again, Bill, but it's my first chance to talk about it after I lost my voice for about three days. But I think that's, that's going to be the thing that carries them. If there is that little bit of a, a slow start or a little bit of a hangover from from the last game, is Trace McSorley. He's kind of been there. He's done everything. He's got seven games, regular season games left at Penn State. He's got was it three or four home games left now. Um, fifth year seniors, especially at quarterback, kind of have a way of of rising to the occasion, especially those that are as good as he is. And so I think. Talent aside across the field, I think he's the the X factor, if you want to call it that, in this game where a lot of things seem to be going in Penn State's favor, but there's some of these intangibles that maybe aren't. He's the the guy you turn to, you put the ball in his hands, whether it's throwing the ball or running the ball, um, that are kind of kind of drag the team into the fight and and get things going. Yeah, and looking at this game, I mean, I... um... How do I say this? Like, I, I don't see, I don't have major reasons uh, for pessimism outside of uh, this is a good Michigan State defense, and when Michigan State is able to make a game a sloppy, messy football game, that's when they can do some stuff. Um, but what about you? Do you? Are there any areas in this game where you look at them and you go, hey, you know what, this might be a... Uh, this this has a chance to be a difficult one, and this is how Michigan State has a path to winning. Well, I think it's the, the two strengths we talked about earlier. It's they've got the that dominant rushing defense, and we've seen every coach hap- this happens to where they kind of get the idea in their head that they're going to do this, they're going to do that, and they they kind of lose track of it. We saw it with Bill O'Brien five years ago in that Indiana game where they ended up losing by twenty one, where they stubbornly kept throwing the football and it just wasn't working. Um, and so you, you see coaches get into that kind of rut, and Michigan State's good enough against the run where that that's a potential issue. The the biggest thing for me, though, is what I've hit on a couple times. It's Brian Lewerke and Felton Davis are good enough to take over a game. They did it last year. Um, primarily it was those two that, that carried the Michigan State offense. They're good enough to do that, and they're going to have to. And I think the difference this year is that Penn State knows it going in. Even if L.J. Scott plays, and it sounds like he's kind of – kind of a game time decision this Michigan State offense is going to go how those those two players go and they're good enough to to carry it and if Penn State's you know off off a beat on offense or not quite there on defense those two players can make them pay and if Penn State you know makes the mistakes they did last year with the turnovers with the penalties with allowing the big plays which really hasn't been a, a hallmark of, of Penn State's defense then those things can cost them Michigan State despite the the talent discrepancy is still good enough as as we've seen a number of times better team talent wise and they they play with and beat the better teams they're good enough to do that and um despite the bye week despite the home game despite homecoming i think there there are those intangible mental reasons for for penn state to be to be worried i think that's why both of us are pretty curious to see how Penn State starts this game not just from a they've struggled to start really from in, in all games this year even the Ohio State game despite 
moving the ball. They didn't. They only scored the 13 points in the first half. They have not started exceptionally well, and they really can't afford that, I don't think, against the Michigan State team that's going to come out hungry for, for any number of reasons. Yeah, I, kind of the last, uh, I guess, reason for concern uh, is that if this one ends up getting close, um, Michigan State is a pretty good kicker in Matt Coughlin. Uh, Penn State has Jake Pinniger, who, you know, perfect on PATs. Talented enough kid has just had the issue uh, when it comes to uh, field goals. Been a little bit uh, rough there, three for six on the year. I think he's probably going to end up being a pretty good kicker, but, uh, oh, this is fun. Uh, his three for six, three for three on field goals between 30 and 39 yards, 0 for three when they're between 40 and 49 yards. So, cool. And, and uh, one of those was the uh, in the slop at Pitt. One of those yeah. was into a pretty strong wood at Illinois. And I think the third one was actually looked like missed, a pretty good kick from where I was sitting. He just, just State, missed yeah. one against Ohio State. But yeah. um, I guess that was decent conditions. So he's he's 0 for 1 in, in good kicking conditions from beyond yes. 40. We'll say that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's fair. And let me uh, – I just closed out of this like a goddamn idiot. So let me pull up uh, – let's see. Football, uh, football Outsiders has Penn State winning this one. Uh, projected margin of 14.7 points. I believe Vegas, Matt, is around 14 and a half, 13 and a half, something it like is that. It's 13 and a half. It's kind of been at 13 and a half since about an hour after it opened. So it really hasn't moved a whole lot this week. And um, we'll see what happens as the game gets closer. But uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty interesting uh, line and projection. I mean, Pence, when you think of Penn State, Michigan State, the only time. Like, you only think of blowouts when one team or the other team is just not good. I mean, you think of the 2015 game where Mark uh, D'Antoni ran it up. You think of the uh, game the year after that where James Franklin decided he he wasn't happy with how the game before went, so he ran it up. These are usually two pretty closely contested teams, Matt. Do you think that two-touchdown-ish spread uh, sounds about right? Do you think that's a little too much, not enough? Where are you on that spectrum? I I think for for all the – we've kind of had a negative slant – not a negative, but a pessimistic slant, I'll say, on what we've been talking about. For all, all the pessimism that we've talked about, I think Penn State wins this game pretty handily. I said, told someone earlier in the week, you know, someone like 38-21 – where it's, you know, yeah, it's a three-score game, but it really doesn't even feel that close. Um, I think Penn State is, the, the Trace McSorley factor is the, the one thing I keep going back to, both in this game in particular and kind of for the rest of the year, where I've got that guy on my team, I think we've got a chance every week. And I think given how the last time out went, given that they're back at home, given how this game went last year in East Lansing, I don't think that guy is going to let this one be that close, let Michigan State hang around. I think he's going to have a, a big day. I think they do enough running the ball. I don't think, gonna, I don't think we're going to talk about you know 150-yard rushers from anyone, but I think they're, they do enough on the ground to keep Michigan State honest. And Michigan State has really struggled against the pass this year, and I think as long as the, the drops aren't a huge issue, I think K.J. Hamler being healthy – um, by all indications, is going to be huge. There's just too many weapons in the the Penn State passing game against the Michigan State defense that struggled that way to really be that concerned. And one-dimensional teams on offense are they they are going to struggle I th- unless they are just that that ex- extremely good and as good as Felton Davis and Brian Lewerke are. I don't think I'd call them that. It's hard for me to see a team that can't run the ball effectively doing a whole lot to keep up with the scoring that I think Penn State's able to do. Yeah, I, I I'm kind of in that uh in that same boat. Like I think what's going to happen is Penn State's going to end up uh just kind of settling into this game. I don't know if it happens right away or it happens late, but We've kind of we've seen that when James Franklin has the opportunity to put up points on a team this year, he's going to do that. I think they go for that here. I think two touchdowns is about right. 
Uh, I think a score like 35-17 makes sense. Something in uh, 35-17, 38-17. Something in that ballpark uh, just makes sense to me. Uh, coming off a bye, what happened the week before that bye. Just all these things. We can believe Penn State wins this game and wins it with some amount of comfort, but uh, I don't want to say anything with too much certainty because obviously weird things can happen uh, when you're going up against Michigan State. Uh, but yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that uh, the land-grant trophy will come to its one true and rightful home, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll be celebrating this weekend. Uh, we'll be celebrating a Penn State win before the Nittany Lions get into the portion of their schedule. Uh, well, no, they get into the kind of tricky portion of it the following week. Uh, not Indiana. Iowa. There we go. Yeah. Woo! I'm having a good one. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's it for this game. I think, Matt, it's time to look at the other Big Ten games. But before we do that, I want you all, every single one of you, because we love you. We love how you support this podcast, and we want to put out the best product possible to know that the reason Matt is on this and why that is so disappointing outside for the obvious reasons of why it would be disappointing is because Nick was supposed to be on tonight, and we were supposed to be playing what he was touting as the best version of the Penn Live game yet. However, uh, he had real-life stuff to do. Uh, and I'm just furious with him because he's been Nick has been talking this this edition of the real pen live game up for what four or five days now, Bill? Something like that. He's been so excited, and he didn't even apologize for it. He just said, "Yeah, I, I can't do it tonight." Yeah, I, it's it, it, it's abhorrent, uh, and you, the listener, deserve better. And I hope Nick ends up listening to this because. Uh, then I already, I know he's just going to come in our Slack and just like go, what the hell, and think that I was serious. But uh, neither here nor there. Let's look at the Big Ten this week. First up, noon kick, FS1, um, Ohio State, Minnesota. I, I, this one's going to get real ugly. I think it's like a 30-point like a spread. The, the only thing somewhat interesting about this game is I think I saw earlier that uh, Jonathan Cooper along Ohio State's defensive line uh, might be out. So, like, maybe they keep it within four touchdowns. Yeah, I, I'm looking at this right now. Ohio State's a 29.5-point favorite. The over-under in this game is 59. Um, uh, there, there, there is one other one other important thing about this game. Minnesota is starting a, like, 6'9", 400-pound right tackle through oh, freshman. yeah. And Ronnie Smith is out too. Man, this is this game's going to be weird. I, I'm very interested to see how this uh, near seven footer who weighs 400 pounds at right tackle is going to fare against uh, Chase Young, who uh, mixes power and speed very well. But we'll uh, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, next up, uh, since the Penn Live game isn't coming on, we're going to play the ticket price game. Uh, I warned Matt about this one, but this is a game that I have less than no interest in. Uh, Rutgers has to travel to play Maryland. <laughs> Matt, uh, this game is in College Park. There are 1,571 tickets available. What is the lowest price ticket you can get for this one? If anyone's paying more than like four bucks for this one, I I have serious questions about their mental well-being. You got it right on the nose. It's four dollars. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay, that's, that's even, overpriced. An even more fun game. Do you know what the line is on this one? I saw this earlier in the week. I want to say it's like Maryland or Maryland's like a touchdown favorite, seven points, ten <laughs> points, something like that. <laughs> oh, you did not look at the right thing, my friend. Maryland is a 23-point favorite. 23. I I need to mention this real quick because it it just makes me laugh. Kansas, who we remember beat Rutgers by like (laughs) 30 and hung 50 on them, fired their offensive coordinator earlier today. So, So Kansas put 50 on them, and the guy that, that ran that offense. I know they had some defensive scores and stuff, but he got fired. Rutgers. <laughs> what? what? Oh no. my God. 
Maryland is a 23-point favorite in a conference game. That's amazing. They have to fire Chris Ash, don't they? Oh, God. They They don't just need to fire him. They need I I don't know what they have to do. Some sort of ritualistic cleansing, maybe? I don't know. That's... uh, Somehow a a bad Rutgers program has has gotten so much worse. Yeah. uh, Listen, if by any stretch... If for whatever reason you're listening to this Arthur Sitkowski transfer, just go somewhere else. You, you, there are reasons for optimism for what you as a six-five uh, strong-arm quarterback for do, can do. I, I am actually from Old Bridge, New Jersey. I lived in Old Bridge, New Jersey, the same town as you, when I was like two years old. Just leave, man. It's not worth it. Nothing is worth this. Not a single thing is worth this. Uh, next up, another noon kick, ESPN2. In Bloomington, Iowa at Indiana. This actually has the potential uh, to be a fun one now that I, uh, as I'm looking at it, I Indiana is a six-point home dog. Uh, Iowa's defense has been really good. Indiana's offense has had its moments. I, I think this one... It's going to be one of those low-scoring but really entertaining games. I think whatever team wins this wins it like 24-20, to 20, but it's still an interesting football game even if it's not always aesthetically pleasing. I think it, it, this has the potential to be like a two-and-a-half-hour game. Yeah. I, know, I know Peyton yeah. Ramsey throws the football a little bit, but both defenses are pretty good. Iowa, we know what Iowa is on offense. If nothing else, this will be close, like you said. I'm not sure... The entertainment factor is to be determined for me, I guess, because this could be one of those games where you're halfway through the second quarter in in Maryland Rutgers, for example, and this game is coming back from halftime. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Again, interesting game. I don't know how interesting it's going to end up being. Um, next up, uh, a Nebraska program that is not actually back against a Northwestern program that took down Michigan State uh, the week before. T- noon kick ABC uh, coming into this one. Northwestern, eight and a half point home favorite. Uh, I, I Like we've mentioned on this podcast before, Matt, we're both big fans of what Adrian Martinez is going to end up being. We think Adrian Martinez is going to end up being uh, for Nebraska. This one, Northwestern is capable of some really, really dumb losses. I don't see them losing uh, to a Nebraska team that's in a... I don't even want to say in a bit of a holding pattern right now. They're just not good. I I can't figure out Northwestern. You know, we went into the season talking about, the, about them as a potential challenger to Wisconsin in the West. I suppose technically they still might be. I think they've only got the, the one Big Ten loss, if I'm right. They've got the two non-Big Ten losses. Um, so it, I yeah. keep wanting to, to think that Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez are going to kind of figure this out. And they're at home, so yeah. they've got that going for them, I guess. But I'm 24 in Camp Randall last week, which is not easy to do. I There's enough talent on offense, and Northwestern's dumb enough, which is ironic to say about Northwestern, yeah. that... I wouldn't be altogether shocked if Nebraska wins. I don't think they will. But it, you know, if I look up at, at 245 and they're up by 10, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I don't see myself watching this one if, if, you're, if you're looking for that answer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, this, this one's not going to be any fun. Like the, this one, I, I can see the chaos potential, relative chaos potential here if uh, Nebraska is able to get kind of on track, but I don't think they're going to get it done. Uh, 330 kick FS1 from Memorial Stadium in Champaign, Illinois, the Purdue Boilermakers head to Illinois, the fighting Illini, 10 point home dogs. Uh, I think Purdue probably ends like, I don't think either of these teams are especially good. I think Purdue has the potential to be better. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm banking on here. I think that. Uh, despite the fact that they're going on the road against an Illinois team that could be a little bit uh, pesky, especially when they're able to get their running game going, I think they're going to be able to score on this Illinois defense, and I think they're going to get the win. Yeah, I produce better than their their two and three record. Um, we've talked all three losses by by a possession or less. 
um, I guess, a possession. There's not less than a possession. They would be tied for yes. winning. Um, I'm, I'm good at math. That's how I figured that one out. But Penn State degree. Illinois is better than Illinois has been. We saw that for two and a half quarters when Penn State went there. But I think there's a reason that Purdue's a two-score favorite on the road. I I expect them to win. I think I kind of like David Blau. They've got the freshman who's unbelievably exciting. Rondell Moore. Who, yes, and that, this goes back to week one when everyone was, was blown away by this kid. And they all, you know, there, there were the... The stars don't matter. Crowd was out in full force until they realized that Rondell Moore was a four-star recruit, <laughs> which which was one of my favorite moments of, of the first month of the season. I'm gonna be if I'm being perfectly honest. Just but, everyone assumes that if you play football for Purdue, that you are not good. That's a whole other discussion about about <laughs> the, the recruiting factor. There's a there's a Penn State Purdue recruiting battle going on right now for a wide receiver from Indiana, but that's neither here nor there. Boilermakers by 14. Yeah, I agree. Uh, last game. Actually, a very interesting one that I think Penn State fans are going to uh, want to pay a whole hell of a lot of attention to. Uh, 7.30 kick on ABC at Michigan Stadium. Wisconsin going to Michigan. Whatever big, whatever team wins this game is going to have the best conference win outside of Ohio State beating Penn State. Um, this is going to be, I think, a really, really fascinating football team. Game. Both teams are going to want are, are big, burly, physical teams. Uh, defenses very, very talented. Offenses. Shea Patterson is a better quarterback, but neither he nor uh, neither he nor uh, wow, I'm uh, blanking on Wisconsin's quarterback's name right Alex now. Alex Hornerbrook. Alex Hornerbrook. He's been there for 400 years. I can't think of his name. Neither of them are going to like beat you with big, explosive, like game-changing plays. Uh, Michigan has the game breaker on offense in Donovan Peoples-Jones. Wisconsin has that in Jonathan Taylor. I think this game—it's going to be low scoring. If it ends something like twenty-one to twenty, I wouldn't be like really close, really fun, really hotly contested football game. Uh, Right now, Vegas has Michigan as a six and a half point favorite, and Matt, I, I, I'm not on board with that. I don't think. I, I was thinking about this game earlier today, actually, and don't ask me why. It was one of those quiet moments at the office. But Michigan has the better quarterback in the better defense. North or Northwestern, Wisconsin has the better offensive line and running game, and Michigan's at home, so I think I give them the edge. But these. These are two carbon copies. We talked about Iowa-Indiana being the two-and-a-half-hour game. This could be the rare uh, ABC primetime game that is over before 11 o'clock, so your late local news starts on time. Um, I think Michigan wins. I'm not – you can hear me in my voice. I'm not terribly confident in that. Um, As the Penn State fan in me wants Michigan to win this because Penn State's path to winning the Big Ten is pretty dependent on – a three-way tie between the Buckeyes, Michigan, and, Ohio- and Penn State. So that's what I'm pulling for, but I I really have no idea what to expect. I'm, I'm shocked the line is as, as big as it was. This felt, this felt like a you know a field goal kind of game, and, and both teams have pretty good kickers in Quinn Nordine and, uh, and the, the big kid from Wisconsin. Rafael Gaglione. Gaglione. Who, who's been there for 350 years. It's, it's weird how I forget 400. Wisconsin's quarterback, but I remember their kicker. It's they've had the same kicker and quarterback for 300 years. It's they have a lab on campus where they they create quarterbacks, kickers, le- and left tackles. That's that's what Wisconsin does. Yeah, it, I mean, looking at uh, their football uh, out their S and P Plus uh, rankings, Michigan's 25th offensively, second defensively, eighth on special teams. Wisconsin 13th offensive, uh, no eighth offensively. Apologies, 55th defensively, 23rd uh, off uh, on special teams. I, like I'm just. I, I guess it makes sense I, if you think that they're playing on a neutral field and Michigan's only about a field goal better that since this is at Michigan, it's a six-point line. But I, like, I just can't shake that this is going to be a really, really close football game. Like, I don't think either team's going to run away with it. I think Michigan wins 24-21, something in that ballpark. Like, it seems like it's just going to be a really close, really tough, and 
really, in terms of the uh, just the chess match that we're going to see between uh, Paul Christ and noted brain genius Jim Harbaugh, it's going to be a really, really fascinating game. So, go yeah, ahead. it's 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 the same team. They're 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 playing themselves in a sense, mm-hmm. and I think this is our first chance to really see how much Michigan's improved since that Notre Dame game. You know, the Northwestern game was close, but it was in Evanston, and weird things happen there regardless of when that game starts. So I think this is our first chance to see Michigan against a team we know is pretty good. They've got a tough stretch here. They, after this, they uh, they go to Michigan State next week, and they're off before Penn State comes to Ann Arbor. So I think these next, next three games are going to tell us an awful lot about Jim Harbaugh's team. I agree. I agree completely, and... Uh... Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think this is it for us. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks one more time uh, to Chris Vanini for taking some time out of his schedule to hop in the Screw pod. you, Nick Polak, for, for bailing on us. Yeah, Nick, the, the folks want the Penn Live game. Uh, if you're somehow still listening to this part, make sure you tweet at Nick and say, we want the Penn Live game, because that uh, I think that would really get the point across. Uh, yeah, make sure you're following us on all our social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that. Keep buying shirts, keep reading and supporting the site. And if you like this podcast, head on to iTunes, head on to whatever podcasting platform you use, subscribe to it, and uh, leave us a review. Love to see those five stars reviews pile up on iTunes if at all possible. So yeah, one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. From my co-host Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.